morning. Um, we finished a series and we're just kind of getting through our summer and um, today's message was kind of triggered because I was meeting up with a mentor and just reflecting on the ministry and I realized uh, what he was saying to me, oh my goodness, Jason, that's something you need to share with the congregation and we'll get to that at the end. And, um, but it, it has to do with this gospel and it has to do with this idea, understanding that we are human beings who are scared to death about being weak and vulnerable to one another. You know, when you meet somebody new, you always say, hi, I'm Jason Coe, firm grip, right? Well, what do you do? <clears throat> well, I, uh, I, uh, I teach the word to a congregation. And you know, you make it sound so glamorous. Well, what do you do? Well, I'm the assistant vice president of marketing in uh, the Western Hemisphere. You know, we, we kind of... No one ever says, I'm Jason Coe, and I have a, I have a sleep disorder. What, what is your disorder? You know, no one ever says, you know, it takes even years before you go, go to the same church and you find out you, you don't know each other's weaknesses. Why is that? Because we want to show others that we're strong, we got it together, we're afraid of judgment, and human nature is always overcompensating for our weaknesses. That's sinful heart. That's just the way we're wired. You know, I have a friend, we're talking about a friend who, from our college days, um, and that person's not, not married still. We're saying, we got to find someone for her. And uh, our friends were telling us, well, you know, you know, she's so picky. You know, there's a guy that likes her, and she doesn't like his voice, she doesn't like his hair, or she doesn't like the way he smells. And I just had this wisdom, like, I think, I was just thinking about that with compassion and love for her, and I realized, you know What? And, you know, I'm not Dr. Phil, or I'm, but I'm just, I wonder, it's not that she doesn't really like them. I wonder if she's picking out a weakness in them so she has an excuse to reject them before they reject her. You know, we are that sensitive. And we think we can do life. The stronger we are, the more determined we are, we could do life so we got to be smart, we got to be educated, successful, get the money, and put a little religion in just so I have a little morality, and I got my life together, and we realize, who is your savior? You are. And trust me, none of us make better gods than Jesus Christ. Just a hunch. But we do. We think we know better than him. So this is why in this context, it fits so well. Paul says, for the message of the cross... It's foolishness to those who are perishing. Think about it. Look, it's so foolish, right? You're telling me a God came down and died on the cross for me? Stupid. It's like saying, you know, Don, I'm going to die for you, and I jump off the bridge. Don's going to say, what an idiot. God died for me. It's foolish. It doesn't make sense. The message also says, you know, in order to live, you must die. What? Durr, foolish. I don't need this. This religious hocus-pocus, invisible God in the sky. This doesn't make sense. So to the world, they look at the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message of the cross, and say, that is stupid. And so Paul elaborates, well, has God not said, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate? God is not saying, I don't want you to be wise. Neither is God saying, I don't want you to be intelligent. 
But those who trust in intelligence and wisdom more than God the gospel, and we try to figure out the world, God's saying, keep going at it. Tell me how that works out for you. Tell me if you get frustrated. Uh, I'll give you two days. Have you ever tried to figure out why death, evil, cancer, heart attacks happen? Can you explain to a 10-year-old boy why his dad died of a heart attack and say, there's a rational explanation of this? You see, the problem with death and those kind of tragedies, it's more complicated without God than with God. I don't believe in God because bad things happen. All right, let's take out God. Does that make it better? You're more lost. You're more hopeless. Depend on your own intelligence and wisdom. Again, Dr. Phil, tell me how that's working out for you. So God is saying, you know, we don't need this wisdom and intelligence to be our source of understanding the world. So he goes on, has not God made foolish? He took all these scholars and said, let me make it simple. Jesus Christ, my son, dying on the cross, simple. And I make fools of all of us who try to figure out this universe. We're sitting in a room, thinking hard. And this is why he summarizes it. For the foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. You know, he talks about Jews and Gentiles and Greeks, and he picks on them a little bit. The Jews, they think the cross is foolish because if that's the Messiah, hello, he's dead. He's nailed to the cross. That's not a king triumphant. Hello, Jews are saying, let's try again. I don't think that's the gospel we like. And they say rejection. To the Greeks, they had this issue. They were highly intelligent civilization. And they were saying, if God does exist, he could not have died on the cross. That's stupid and foolish because, by the way, the word foolish in Greek is moros. That's how we get the word moron in our language, you know? So that's, it's, I mean, that's how insulting it is. The message of the cross is moronic. It's stupid and foolish. And the Greeks are saying, let's think this out. If God came to earth, became man, and died on the cross, he must have had emotions. And Greeks said, God cannot have emotions. You know why? The moment he becomes emotional, humans could be more superior than an emotional being. So they rejected that God became man, died on a cross, has feelings. They actually believe God is this apathetic mute, no emotions. Like, think of, think of uh, you know, Dr. Sp- Mr. Spock, you know, the Vulcan. That's our God. I don't know about you, but if something happens in my life, I don't want to be praying to Mr. Spock. So Paul is saying, God rejects all this, and he says, the cross has made it simple. We preach Christ. We don't preach, come to us and you'll have a good life. By the way, that's stupid, isn't it? I mean, that's just dumb. Be a Christian, your life would be better. That doesn't work. Even if it does, you just set them up for failure. The gospel message is not God will give you peace, joy, happiness, love, and perfect life. How many of you are good Christians and you suffered? Raise your hand. Is either God's a failure or we didn't understand the gospel? Jesus didn't turn out great for him and then he rose again. Didn't turn out great for the disciples, did it? Saw it in half, burned at the stake, crucified upside down. What is the gospel? Is it life enhancement? To the world, the gospel, the cross is foolishness to dying to yourself. But it is to us, check this out, 
verse 18. For them it is foolishness, but to us being saved, it is the power of God. Can you say that with me? Power of God. Paul says in Romans 1, for I am not ashamed of this gospel, this foolish gospel, because it is the power of God for the salvation of those being saved. Now, I don't know if this is a true story. I think it is, but I remember one message when I was young that the pastor gave, and the power of God is that the gospel transforms us. So one day, a pastor is preaching on a Sunday morning just like this. He's preaching. Some guy walks in through the door, a little bit inebriated, walks in and goes, lies! Lies! And people just are sitting there saying, what? And he goes, prove your God exists, this invisible God. This is a crock. And he walks up to the front and he says, this is all a lie, and you, you prove to me that your God is real. And, and he said, this is stupid. You guys are all fools. And then the preacher says this. He stays there, and he goes, I can prove to you that God is real and that Jesus Christ is Lord. And the guy says, how? He goes, the fact that you're still alive at this moment. And he goes on. Because before Jesus Christ saved me, I would have killed you. I was a gang member. I was a hitman. And if you looked at us funny, you would be in the hospital. God, redeem me, claim me, transform me. And if you did that before I became a Christian and I knew Jesus Christ, you wouldn't have made it the second step. Now shut up and sit down. <laughs> you know, what changed that man? Do you think higher intelligence and education? Do you think a disciplined life transformed that man? Did, did getting religious and getting serious about my faith change him? The power of God is the message of the cross. It is not our willpower. It is not your determination. Counterintuitively, it is your surrender. It is our weakness that allows God to come and claim us and save us. So look what Paul says in verse 26. Brothers, now, now if you came to church for a pep talk, you don't want to hear the next part. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. So what standards? Like dog standards? What? I don't know. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. So he's saying, remember where you came from. Did you get here as a church because you were born well, you had good money, you were smarter than everyone else? Is that how you got here? I mean, church, while we're out of church, is that how you got here? You're, you're a Christian because you happen to be born at the right place and you were a little bit smarter than everyone else. You had a little bit more money. You had a little bit more morality. You had a better youth program. Is that how you got here? Really? And he goes on, verse 27. But God, so he's saying that's your way and our way. That's how the world thinks. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Wow. 
You know, in all the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, there's only one type of people that God saves. It's not the rich. It's not the righteous. Because there's no one righteous. The only people that really get it and are saved are the broken, humble people who recognize, I am weak, therefore, God, you be strong. Just think about it. Do you remember the Tower of Babel? Do you remember that story? You know, what were they doing? They, they got this new civilization, and this is what they said. I mean, this is how humanity thinks. This is what Babel's, you know. They say, Genesis eleven four. Come, let us build ourselves a city. That sounds okay so far. With a tower that reaches to the heavens. Cool. So that we may make a name for ourselves. Oh, you just almost had it. What happens when people say, I am strong, I, am, I can do this, I am more important than I really I am, and I can show God, I don't really need you. I, we got this. A few verses later, confusion, languages, disperses them. Remember, remember um, Abraham and Sarah? Right before this chapter, verse 16, chapter 16, God tells Abraham, I'm going to raise a new covenant with you, Let's make a covenant. I will be your God. I will protect you. I will bless you. Next chapter, verse 1, it says this. Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, so she had a problem. I can't, well, God promised us this, but hello, I'm getting old and I have no child. God, you stay there. I'll figure it out. Wisdom of humanity. So the Lord has kept me from having children, she says to Abraham, her husband, go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Now, Sarah doesn't get the blame. You know who gets the real blame? Abraham, who said, I'll do that for you. You really want me to do that for you? I'll do it for you. What a great idea, Sarah. And you know what happened? He slept with Hagar. Hagar had a son named Ishmael. Sarah did get pregnant, had a son named Isaac, and then we had a little sibling rivalry. And arguably, Ishmael, the line of Ishmael, do you know what we call that group of people today? Muslims. When we try to figure out God's problems our way, and we say, no, I am not foolish. No, I know what I'm talking about. I don't need God. God's plan still prevails, but we go the 40-year route rather than the 10-week route. God's plan doesn't get foiled, brothers and sisters, but we make it complicated for ourselves. This is why God chooses the foolish things, the lowly things, those people who recognize, I know my limits, and that's God. He's going to do it. And, you know, I was reading an article. This happens today in the church. It's not just them. There's an article that pastors get, and the article is called The Most Dangerous Person in Your Church. Watch out. <laughs> Please don't talk about me. What a profound reality. You would think the most dangerous person in the church is what? The guy who gives the most money, you know, therefore I give. It actually, it actually happens, you know. I pay 50% of the revenue, so... <laughs> I want to do church my way. That happens, but that's not it. Scarier than that. Let me read you a part of the article. 
by Eric Raymond. But I submit to you that these types of people, he's talking about other people, are not the most dangerous people that attend your church. At least they are not in my experience. That's what he says. Instead, the most dangerous person at your church is the apparently smart person who is unteachable. When I say unteachable, I mean that he or she has it all figured out. He is the classic, don't confuse me with facts. I know what I believe. He is gospel-eclipsing, critical, divisive, joy-robbing, and a time-waster. The most dangerous person in this church could be any of us who say, don't tell me what to do. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this such and such. I've known such and such. I've read such and such. Do you know who I am? Do you know who I am? I know your church needs me. You can't tell me what to do. God has made foolish the wisdom of the wise with the message of the cross. Because the message of the cross is the more I hate you, the more I'm going to love you back. The more you hit me, the more I'm going to serve you. The more you attack me, the more I'll cater and honor you as a person. That's the message of the cross. The message of the world is I can do this with or without God. And what does the word of God say? God uses average, lowly, weak people. Raises them up to show the world, do you really think David killed Goliath because he's smarter, more stronger? Or was it me in David? Do you think that the church rose up out of a Roman Empire amidst every disadvantage and became worldwide because these disciples were smarter, stronger, resilient? Or was it the Holy Spirit? And this is why God says in verse 29, so that he does this, no one may boast before him. When I die, granted, if let's say I do a long ministry, I'm not going to go to God and say, God, boy, were you ever lucky to have me. Do you know what I did for you? Give me that crowd. Let me in there. When I die, what this tells me, the message of the cross tells me is, to the day I died, Lord, I was your servant and slave. I am unworthy of being entered to be a servant of your kingdom. And you used me still, despite my flaws. Are you kidding me? Lord, I worship you. That is what the message of the cross does. The message of the weak, the strong, and the arrogant say, God, I can't wait to see you because you got to know what I did for you. So he goes on. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus. Now, where do we get wisdom? We do need wisdom. We do need righteousness. We do need redemption and holiness. So where do we get it? Try harder? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Go try harder. He tells us, doesn't he? Where is your source of wisdom? Go read. Go study. Good. Go learn. Great. Go try hard. Good. That's not what God's telling you not to do. 
but make sure you know the source of wisdom, source of righteousness, your right standing with God. Make sure you know the source of your holiness, becoming purer and more like Jesus. Make sure you know the source of redemption, your sinner who got plucked out and said, you're my son, daughter. The source is this, verse 30. It is because of him, God, that you are in Christ Jesus, comma, who, Jesus, has become for us wisdom from God. That is our righteousness, holiness, redemption. Church, do you want wisdom? Do you want to be clear on your righteousness? Get intimate with Jesus. It's a person. Don't talk about, well, I have a faith. It's not a faith. Muslims have faith. Jews have faith. Hindus have faith. Even scientists have faith. Your faith itself is not your savior. You know who you have? You have Jesus Christ, who is our wisdom, who is our righteousness. So here's a final test. How do I know if I depend on myself or I depend on Jesus Christ? You guys want to know? I love this text. It answers it the last verse. Ready? Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. You know how you know you are self-dependent versus God-dependent? Try that test. Listen to your conversations. Reflect on what you say and think. Do you give yourself more praise and say, well, I've done a great job. We all need encouragement. This is not against that. But those who know how to boast in Jesus Christ and say, praise God for what he's doing here. Praise God that I used to be way different from even three years ago. God is doing a new thing. Boasting in the Lord, that reveals in your heart, do you trust in yourself, your wisdom, your money, your power, your prestige, or do you trust in Jesus Christ? Now I want to end with this, just kind of how I started this. I sat in that chair four and a half years ago after you called me, and I came the first Sunday as a pastor, and I sat there, and I was praying, just like we do when Elvin's playing the prelude, and, and I, I wish we would pray, you know, just kind of other people are praying, just kind of keep it talking now, but anyway, that's a side thing, and I was praying, and then I got, and then I got this, this, uh, what do you call it, panic attack, no one knew, because I was holding it, and then I said, that's what I said, I said, what am I doing here, I said that, really, I'm a Korean-American Asian youth pastor who probably doesn't even deserve a ministry, who's got broken, and God said, and I said, I, I don't know if I could do this, and God said, my hand's longer than yours. Wow, God. And I'm sitting there, but I'm saying, but God, these are, I really said this, I'm just being honest, these are white people. <laughs> I don't know anything about white people. I don't know anything about being a senior pastor. I don't know how to even run Robert's Rule of Order in session. And I sat there and I said, what am I doing here? And God came to me, not in like, ooh. I just felt this. Do you trust in yourself more than you trust in me? Do you think you could do more for this church than what I can do in a second? 
No, he said, I'm yours. You do whatever you wish. And God, I trust in you because you didn't call me because I'm smart. You certainly didn't call me because I'm good looking. You didn't call me because I knew what to do. But in fact, God knew that I didn't know what to do. And he uses the foolish to shame the wise. Church, we need to become foolish. Amen? But the power of the cross is you get weaker and trust in him. Then you will know true power. I look at our church and I'm saying four and a half years, 100% God's incredible work and he's not done. All he's asking of us is trust in me. Run into your weakness. Face your inadequacy so that you may boast not in yourself but in me. Hallelujah. Amen? Let's pray. I want to give us an opportunity as Elvin just plays something on the piano. And I just want to come before the Lord. And I'm not playing the piano just to be emotional, but I just want to be real with God. I just want to be real. Just, I don't want to do worship, go home, and then, you know, we do our thing and say, let's, let's keep growing and let's, you know, make sure committees are working. That, that's not the point. I, I want to be real. And I want us to just come before God right now and say, taking a deep breath, God, I know I have limitations. I know I don't know everything. I know I can't do everything that I think I should. And you don't love me or love me less because I can or I cannot. You don't love me more because I know a lot or I know little. But I just want to be real with myself, with you, and say, God, I believe in the power of the cross. I believe in your transformative power in my life. I believe in Jesus Christ. Lord, you, in my weakness, become strong. You, Lord, in my life, glorify thy name. And Lord, in my humility and brokenness, let me model Christ and live in his footsteps to serve, to proclaim his name, and to be a church that genuinely loves you loves the people and is empowered by the message of the cross which is foolishness let's take a moment to pray Father, help us to not be afraid to 
face weaknesses. It's kind of surprising, Lord, that we actually get surprised about our flaws and weaknesses as if we really are perfect people. Lord, Lord, instead, help us to lean into these things so that we recognize the reality of how much more we need you. And Lord, this goes beyond just amazing mission work like VBS. This goes beyond amazing work like serving in this church. This penetrates to every aspect of our lives to recognize as a father, husband, the more I say, I know what I'm doing, you can't teach me, the more we are weak and foolish, really. And the more we come before you and say, Jesus, Christ in me, the King of glory, the hope, in my weakness, may your strength shine through. And in this congregation, in our limitations, may you all the more show off that you can proclaim and build your kingdom not on strong people, wise people, people with money, but because you could build your kingdom through anyone who surrenders and trusts in you so that we could boast in the end this is a God thing. So Lord, have your way with us. Forgive us and help us to repent of our pride. Help us turn away from the fears that we may have, the hurts that keep us clenching our fists. And in Jesus' name, we want to let go and say, Lord, only in the message of the cross do I find my strength. Jesus, thank you for dying for us. We again renew our trust and faith in you. And God, pour on us your incredible blessing and anointing and build this church for your namesake. Not for my glory, not for the people's glory, but for your glory alone. For it is in Christ's name we pray all these things. Amen.